Before time began, there was nothing but God. He has always existed. And because he is perfectly good and there is nothing evil in him, good has existed from all eternity. And when he decided to create the world, he called everything that he made good, climaxing in the creation of the human race, which he called very good. But from the earliest part of history, evil, the absence of good and the departure from good, has been the great antagonist. Satan and his angels left their place in heaven when they chose evil instead of good. And when Adam ate the forbidden fruit and he chose good over evil in that way, the world has been plagued by sin and death, trouble and conflict, sickness and sorrow. But evil is not the opposite force of good, and Satan is not the counterpart of God. No, God is more powerful than anything and anyone that opposes him. Good is greater than evil, and believers have the hope that our good God will obliterate evil once and for all. He did that through his son on the cross, who died and rose again to pay the penalty for our sin so that the wrath of God would not be held against us and the penalty of sin would not be counted towards us, but rather the perfect righteousness of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he's also doing that through the Holy Spirit who lives within the hearts of believers who reminds them that they are his, that they can never be taken from him, and who continually causes us to renounce sin and to say yes instead to godliness and to live in increasing righteousness before God. And we know that God himself will come again to purify the world, purging of everything that is unclean and sinful, and to make all things as they were in the beginning, perfectly and only good, and even better, because sin and evil can never be resurrected again. But what do we do in the meantime? When the world seems out of control and we realize we can't stop the troubles around us, When we are tempted and feel as though we can't take much more, we are so weak. When we are grieved by our own sin or the sins of others around us. When life seems dangerous, scary, and lonely. In our passage today, Psalm 91, God has provided us with words of comfort and reassurance. And by them, he bears witness to us of his remarkable power at work for believers and even within them. But sometimes the greatest trap that the enemy can lay before us is to cause us to forget or to misunderstand what God has said so that we would miss out on his power and his assurance, which he has meant for his people to receive. And I mention that because the very passage that we're going to look at tonight, Satan himself misquoted when he tried to tempt our Lord. And yet he did not succeed because God's word will not return empty. God has a good purpose for his word as he intended it, and it will accomplish what God has intended. 
So today, we are going to get at the root of Psalm 91, a song that proclaims how God protects his people from evil, how he is the refuge that they can run to and find safety, and how he cares about our relationship with him. The title of this message is Guarded by Love. Guarded by Love. When we take refuge in God, we find that he guards us with his love so that the troubles around us will not have their intended effect, but will rather be flipped for our good and for his glory. That is the main point of our passage today. So with that in mind, let us begin by reading the whole psalm, and then we'll look at it in three different sections, which I'll explain in a moment. As we do, we will find what it truly means to take refuge in God. Hear now the word of the Lord, Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Dear friends, this is the word of the Lord, trustworthy and true, faithful in all it says, and authoritative for us. Amen? As we consider this text, here are the three sections that we will consider. Where we find refuge, what it means to find refuge, And what happens when we find refuge? We learn where we find refuge in verses 1 through 2. What it means to find refuge in verses 3 through 8. And what happens when we find refuge in verses 9 through 16. We'll begin by asking where we find refuge. And the psalm writer tells us at the very beginning of the psalm in verses 1 through 2. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. 
When we are in need or trouble, God is the one we should turn to because he is the only one who can give us the full scope of the help that we need. Whoever we choose as our ultimate source of encouragement, stability, protection, and help, whoever we choose, that will determine how much help we can receive. We can look at it another way. Think about those to whom you turn for help. A family member, a close friend, a colleague, a mentor, or even yourself. Now keep in mind, we should take personal responsibility for our lives. And even more importantly, we should surround ourselves with people whom we can trust. And that there is no ifs and buts about that. At the same time, it is possible to allow things to get out of proportion and to put others or even yourself in God's place. When we do that, it causes us to put expectations upon others that they could never measure up to simply because they are not God. If we try to put anyone else in God's place, they will fall short and we will become bitter because we have treated them as though God, and we have given them the attention that God meant for us to give to him. And if we put ourselves in that position, then we will become proud and begin to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, and God in his mercy will show us that we're not as good as we thought we were. That's why the psalm writer declares that the person who lives in the secret place of the Most High will rest in the Almighty's shadow. When the believer needs protection, a place of refuge, he or she turns to God himself. Your God is a God who has a vested interest in you, in protecting you, in loving you, in not allowing the enemy to have the upper hand over you. Yes, we will face trouble. Yes, we will be tempted. Yes, we may face persecution. And yes, things may get hard for us. But none of it comes apart from God's guiding hand. And he will not allow the enemy to go to the end. He will only allow him to go so far and no further. And he will flip it on its head for his glory and for your good and to frustrate the plans of the evil one. Let's repeat verse 2 together and make it our own declaration. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. When you choose God as your refuge, you will find that He guards you with His love, so that the troubles around you will not have their intended effect, but will rather be flipped for God's glory and for your ultimate good. Amen. We have identified where we find refuge, namely in God himself. Now we will consider what it means to find refuge in him. What can we reasonably expect from a perfect, trustworthy God who provides us a secret place and shadow in his safety, the God who is our refuge and fortress? 
What can we expect from him? So we pick up at verse three. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. The fowler's snare gives the picture of a trap that's set to catch you, one that you cannot see. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon talked about the fowler's snare, and he said that it is useless to put a trap where the bird can see it. No, the fowler, the hunter, will put the trap where it cannot be seen so that the bird suspects nothing and will either fly into it or step upon it and get stuck. And the same is true if you are baiting a fish hook or if you are putting peanut butter on a mouse trap. The point is that the, whatever animal will see and be allured by the, by the bait and will not see the trap until it is too late. Similarly, traps have been laid everywhere for believers. The enemy will tempt you to fall into sin. He'll try to distract you by taking your eyes off of Jesus. Or, if he fails, he will cause trouble or harm for you to varying degrees. These traps can be found anywhere you go and in many different forms. And the thing that we must remember is the fact that the enemy is stronger than we are. So we shouldn't for a minute think that we can stand up to the enemy on our own. But here's the good news. We don't have to. We don't have to face up to the enemy on our own. God himself promises to deliver us from the fowler's snare so that if we are actively trusting in him, we will not be trapped by the enemy because God will open our eyes to see the fowler's snare so that we will not step into it. Because as alluring as it may seem, if we know God, if we know his voice and his word, then his word will reign supreme in our hearts and it will cause us to put everything else into perspective. We will also be kept from the deadly pestilence, which is the judgment that the wicked has coming to them. The Bible warns that trouble and death await all sinners, including the entire human race. This was true in the short term, such as when Moses warned the Israelites about the curses that would follow them for their disobedience. And also in the long term, since eternal death awaits all sinners, because that is what each and every one of us deserves. But just like when the destroying angel passed over the houses of the Israelites, when they spread the sacrificial blood from the Passover lamb on the doorpost, God's judgment against sinners does not pertain to us if we believe in Jesus and trust in him alone for salvation. If Christ is our savior, he protects us so that we will not be judged along with the wicked. To borrow Abraham's plea to God, the judge of all the world will indeed do what is right because he will make a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. The psalm writer continues by saying, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. God is like a mother bird who protects her chicks from harm by covering them with her wings. Boaz used this metaphor when Ruth left her country 
left everything behind to go to a foreign land to be with her mother-in-law and to worship the one true God. She had taken refuge under Yahweh's wings. So Boaz prayed that God would reward her, which is exactly what God did for Ruth. Jesus would later pick up on this metaphor and say that he longs to gather his people together under his wings to protect them. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he sighed. How I wish I could gather your children together as a mother hen gathers her wings, and yet that's not what you wanted. You hear his heart of compassion, and you hear it come through for those he loves, even when they have rejected him. So how much more for those who do love him, who have drawn close to him, who have repented of their sins and thrown in their lot completely with Jesus, holding on to nothing of their own, but giving it all to him. How much more so can you expect him to be favorably inclined towards you and to protect you from all harm? Now, when a mother bird covers her chicks with her wings, it means that if anyone is going to be harmed or die, it's the mother bird. And the same is true with the Secret Service with the President of the United States. Their sole purpose is to protect the President. And if any harm comes his way, as much as they are able to do, they will get between him and the harm, and they will take the hit themselves. But think about what it would be like to have God between us. God covering us with his wings. God stepping between the harm's way and us. Him being willing to take the hit, to take the harm. Well, guess what? God cannot be harmed. We believe that God is impassable, which means that he is not able to be affected by anything else. He cannot be harmed He cannot be stopped. He cannot be thwarted. He cannot be done away with. So if God takes the hit for you, then you know that he will not be harmed and neither will you. And God loves you. He would do that because he loves you. He would get between you and the harm because he doesn't want you to be harmed. The greater stands up for the lesser in our relationship with God. And think about how great that is. It's not us protecting God. It's God protecting us. And an all-sufficient, all-powerful God will provide his vast strength on your behalf. But there's even more as we read in verses 5 through 6. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flieth by day, nor of the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Often the cover of darkness is perfect for a surprise attack, but there are also times when danger and trouble happens in the broad daylight, in the middle of the day. Either way, we do not need to fear what harm may come upon us, since God has his eye upon us for good. The Apostle John, that Jesus came into a world as the light, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. We do not need to fear the powers of evil and darkness, 
because they cannot overcome God. And at the same time, since we know that the enemy can disguise himself as an angel of light, we need not fear the light either, because God, again, gives us the discernment to recognize his voice from that of a stranger. In verses 7 through 8, A thousand may fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. When God's judgment comes upon the world and sin, we're protected from it. The downfall that awaits the wicked will not come upon us because the Father has chosen us from all time. The Son has paid for us with his precious blood and ever lives to intercede for us. And the Holy Spirit indwells and guards us so that we will not fall. Each person in the Trinity, one God in three persons, plays a role in saving us from sin and judgment and protecting us for all eternity. But as we consider what it means to find refuge in God, there is one caveat that we must note. God does not promise that we will face no trouble and no harm in this life. In fact, we know that the righteous do suffer and that Christians will face trials and persecution for their faith. If Jesus himself suffered, then we will certainly face suffering if we follow him. And God has a plan for each one of us, and our stories aren't different. There's no one box that everything fits into. Think about the fact that Corrie ten Boom, she was delivered from the opposition and the trouble that she was in. In fact, it was a clerical error that kept her from going to death and instead being set free. But think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was not spared, who did die for standing up for righteousness. Their story was not the same. And as we look at the suffering that Corrie ten Boom went through, and not only the suffering, but also the ultimate price that Dietrich Bonhoeffer went through, we know the fact that the righteous will indeed suffer. So why does the psalm writer assure us that no harm will befall us and that we needn't fear the dangers that lurk around us if we trust in God? Again, it's because God will only allow evil to go so far and he will frustrate it so that it actually works toward a good purpose. And he causes us to look beyond the troubles that we face so that instead of them overwhelming us, We are instead emboldened by God's goodness and sovereignty that remains true in the face of everything else and trumps it for his glory. We know that both Corrie ten Boom and Dietrich Bonhoeffer are in heaven right now, that God saw what they went through and that he is going to reward them. And on the last day, he will stand up for them and say, I'm on their side. And the same is true for each and every one of us. If we stand for Jesus, if we love him, and if we resolve to stick with him no matter what, he is with us, he is for us, and the enemy will not win. When God's people take refuge in God, they find that he guards them with his love so that the troubles around them will not have their intended effect, but will rather be flipped for his good purposes. And think about the peace that God can give you in the midst of the storm, which is so counterintuitive. You wouldn't expect to have peace in the midst of trouble, but yet that's exactly what God does. 
And all of the stories of the martyrs, all of the stories of those who bore up under suffering and even death for God's good purposes because they loved him, God honored them even in the midst of it by causing their face to shine, by giving them assurance in him so that they could stand and see the end in sight. We have seen what it means to find refuge, and now we move to our final section that deals with what happens when we find refuge in God. And here is where the psalm becomes particularly personal, highlighting the relationship that we have with God because we have saving faith in him. The psalm writer will provide us with two because statements, which will help us understand the final result. The first one we find in verses 9 through 13. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee. Neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. If the Lord is our refuge, the one that we trust, then he will not allow the enemy to get the upper hand over us. And when God says that he'll send his angels to catch us when we fall, let's think about what it does not mean. It does not mean that God is compelled to rescue us when we step out on our own, when we do risky things when we take our own way. That's what the enemy wanted Jesus to think, that Jesus could stand on the pinnacle of the temple and jump down because God would catch him. That's not what the verse means, and Jesus knew it. That's why he said that it's also written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Instead, here is what it means. It means that if you are clinging closely to God, if he is your refuge, if you are in right relationship with him, and if you obey him no matter what, then he is there for you. If the enemy shoves you down, God will pick you up. If the world takes you to the cliff and throws you off, the Lord himself will come and catch you. That is what our Lord knew. And why he refused to put his father to the test. Because the whole point of the passage is that we are in right relationship with God. And now here comes the second because statement. And here is where something really special happens with a passage. Because up to this point, it's been the psalm writer speaking to us. But now God himself speaks to us. Verses 14 through 16. Because he, the righteous person, hath set his love upon me, therefore will I, God, deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Do you love God? Well, guess what? God loves you more. Do you know his name? If so, he knew your name first. 
If you call upon him, he will answer you. Not always in the time and the way you expect, but he surely will in the way that he knows that you need, in the way that will best serve you and honor his purposes. First, he wants you to be satisfied in him, and then you will best receive the deliverance that he provides. We don't trust in God because we expect to have no trouble or suffering, or when we start to feel it, that God's immediately going to take us out of it. No, we love God. We take refuge in him because we know that whatever we may face, he is worth it. We love him. We will never depart from him by his grace, and he is going to stick up for us. It reminds me of what Polycarp said. 86 years I have served my Lord, and he has done me no wrong. So how can I turn from him now? If God the Father sent his Son to live, die, and rise again for you, and to sit at his right hand as your defense attorney, and if he sent the Holy Spirit to live within your heart, to be your helper, your advocate, your counselor, to guide you in the truth, then God certainly cares about you and will not let the enemy win over you. That is what happens when we find refuge in God. Now, dear friends... How do we put this into practice? How does this change the way that we think and the way that we live? Well, because it's a blessing when we come at the end of our rope. When God shows us that our strength is not enough. That we need to take refuge in someone beyond ourselves. And as believers, I'm sure that we all know that. But we need to constantly remember that, the fact that we shouldn't take matters into our own hands. We shouldn't forget his power, the fact that he is on our side, and the fact that we need him. We need him. We should depend upon him. And when we do, we should truly experience the power of God's strength at work in the midst of our weakness. You are stronger when you are nothing and God is everything than when you muster up all the strength that you have and that's all you've got. God may shape circumstances to reveal the fact that we need him, the fact that we can't depend upon ourselves, and praise God when he does. In fact, I love the Pilgrim's Progress It's one of the best stories that talks about how we walk with God. And there was recently a film that was based upon it, in which as as Apollyon and his forces were considering how they would trip up Christian, they recognized the fact that they couldn't take Christian off the path. But they could try to convince Christian to get off the path himself. But guess what? It's not up to us. Yes, we walk faithfully with God. Yes, we should listen to his voice. Yes, we have a responsibility to keep in step with the Spirit. But ultimately, it's God who's keeping us so that we will stay close to him. And if we do fall, our fall is not full or final. God is there for us, and he will see us through to the end. 
So let's take the initiative to humble ourselves before God and seek him. The Bible is full of places where people realize that they were at the end of their rope and called to God for help. Think of David. He picked up his pen not just after the troubles he faced, but even in the middle of them. In fact, when we read many of his psalms and the prescript above it, we see places where he was in trouble. He was on the run from Saul or Absalom. He was trapped in a Philistine town and wondering what to do. And in fact, there was even a time where he was in the cave and Saul entered the cave and David was probably like, what am I going to do? And also times where there were tattletales around him about to tell Saul, guess what? David is hiding among us. So what was, what was David to do? He picked up his pen and he prayed to God saying, God, save me, protect me, rescue me. I trust in you. And guess what? God brought him to the other side. And also think about Jacob. Jacob fled from his brother Esau to Laban. And when he came back to the promised land, it was not because he decided, I want to go home. This is enough. It was because God said, it's time for you to go back and I will bless you. So then Jacob heard the fact that Esau was coming to him with 400 men. And Jacob prayed to God, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that Esau is going to come and attack us and do away with us. But you, God, are the one who told us to go back. Please protect us. And God did. And that is when God came and wrestled with Jacob in order to let Jacob win and to bless him. Where in your life do you need God to shelter you? Where do you need God to take the driver's seat for you? Where do you need to tell God, take my empty hands, take my depleted strength, take my unfulfilled dreams, take my broken heart, take my weary soul, and take my troubled mind? Again, when we face the end of our rope, when we realize that it's not in our own strength to deal with the trouble, and even when we find that it's not going to change, and when we realize that what we need is God. God never changes. God is there for us. God loves us. So no matter what may happen, we call out, God, we need you. God, we love you. God, You're all we've got. Please help us. Please help us to bear up. Help us to walk with you no matter what. To be your faithful people and may you be our all in all. It's when you can say that, that God will answer and say to you, my grace is enough for you. Because when you are at your weakest, I am at my strongest. It's also when he comes to you and says, come to me, all you who are weak and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Trust in the Lord and he will act. Lay your troubles before him. Honestly confess your weakness and your doubts. And then walk in renewed faith and obedience as you wait for him to act. When God shows you that you need help, that you are not enough, that others are not enough, that you need him, humble yourself and come before him. And even before that point, seek him, 
Know the fact that you need him and continue to walk with him and never let your eyes be diverted from him. When you take refuge in God, you will find that he guards you with his love so that the troubles around you will not have their intended effect, but will rather be flipped for his glory and your good. In fact, he will work everything together for your glory, for his glory, and for your good, because he will always have the victory. Amen, and God bless you.